It's New Hampshire Headlines in WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten, nhtalkradio.com. To get the back episodes of the show, we have released all our episodes here of New Hampshire Headlines as videos, as well as podcast versions. You, you can, If you happen to be following WKXL on Facebook, you can check out the videos right there in your feed. Excited to be joined this week by Paul Kuno Booth. He is an independent reporter who's contributing to New Hampshire Public Radio on the Health Beat, and excited to have him join the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So it's great seeing your reporting over NHPR.org if people want to check out more of his work over there. And let's start off with your most recent article, which is a an issue that they're finding in other parts of the country that's now spread into New Hampshire and New England as a whole, where uh, there's issues of things getting into the drug supply, which is causing issues for uh medical professionals, support staff, and everything related to uh, addiction in the state. Yeah, so the the issue is um, this substance called xylazine. It's a animal tranquilizer that's, um, as you said, sort of, it's been present in other parts of the country. the last few years has really spread um, to various New England states, and including New Hampshire, um, and it's it's typically mixed in with with fentanyl. Um, sometimes they call it trank dope, and it, it has a number of kind of concerning health effects. Um, one is just the the sedative effect, right? It it you know sometimes sometimes makes people um, you know fall unconscious almost immediately when they're not expecting that. Um, and that can be an issue, especially for people experiencing homelessness, right? They might be exposed to um, severe weather. People might steal from them. Uh, it also means, you know, it, it can cause circulation issues. Um, there's also sort of concern that it's contributing to overdoses, right? Because you have the sedation on top of the opioid overdose. And so one thing that a lot of first responders um, may find is that, you know, they they give someone Narcan to reverse the the opioid, which is still important to do and restore breathing, but someone might still be unconscious. Um, the the other kind of big health impact of, of this tranquilizer xylazine is that it causes these really kind of gnarly skin wounds um, that become infected and necrotic very quickly. Um, sometimes people have had to have you know, fingers amputated because of these, um, because of the tissue death. So, um, you know, harm reduction workers are, are encouraging people to get wounds checked out and treated very quickly. Um, but it's, you know, it's sort of, it's one of these substances that's being cut into an already dangerous drug supply and just kind of adding these new hazards on top of it. Yeah, over the last few years, we've seen considerable amount of fentanyl now in the state. Big issue, especially down in the Manchester area, over toward the seacoast, too, I believe. I've heard some stories about. And it's adding this drug to it, in addition to the already very dangerous situation that's fentanyl, is. it's tragic to hear the stories of the people that are dealing with the fallout of it. They're, they're addicted. They... Uh, they're going to continue to consume the drugs because of their addiction and their their inability to necessarily get out of that addiction for countless reasons. Uh, I mean, it, what's it, is there any reasoning be- behind why this is now getting added to it? Is it just to make it seem stronger to people that are uh, buying? Sort of. So I, you know, I asked a number of experts, and they said it's <laughs> we don't know exactly, but kind of the the thought is that. Um, so as you as you said, fentanyl has become a, a really major issue, and it's it's essentially replaced heroin in New Hampshire. 
fentanyl is much stronger. It also has a much um, shorter lived high. So the, the thought is that people are now adding a tranquilizer to it um, to extend a high. And, and when I say people, it's it's somewhere in the distribution chain. This is not, as far as I know, not something that um, most people are seeking out. They're, they're not doing this themselves, but um, it's being cut into some of the fentanyl, um, again, probably to try and extend the high. It seems, I don't know, I'm just connecting dots that don't necessarily connect, but is this kind of also an indicator of where a lot of the drugs are now coming into New Hampshire from, especially with this drug now originally being a lot more in Pennsylvania and such, and now we're seeing it in this part of the country? That's a great question and, and something I'm not um, not too sure of. I, I didn't really um, report on on the sort of um, drug network aspect of it. But, you know, a lot of um, I, I think a lot of our drugs do sort of enter from Massachusetts and they're finding a ton of um, xylosine there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't I don't know exactly if that's the reason but but that's one um one possibility i i guess yeah i'm asking the health reporter a a, a drug question so <laughs> not a not a vice reporter well, um, it, it is a health issue you know yeah. so yeah yeah and, and going off of that i mean what are what are community workers trying to do to combat this or try and deal with the fact that there there's no real like there's test strips available for heroin and things like that but there isn't one for this because especially because it's been on the market that long in this way so so i think some important context here is that um as we're talking about the, the drug supply is just changing so rapidly and and the you know people on the ground say it's it's really unpredictable you don't know what you're getting um one harm reduction worker called it russian roulette and and you know, you have, as we said, fentanyl has basically replaced heroin. Fentanyl is also now being mixed into meth. It's turning up in cocaine. So people who don't know they're getting fentanyl, don't have a tolerance to it, may still, um, you know, be consuming it. Another big hazard is that um, fentanyl is being pressed into a lot of fake pills. So people who think they're buying Adderall or whatever on the black market, it might actually just be fentanyl, and and that's a huge overdose risk. At the same time, you have things like this tranquilizer being cut into some drugs. You have, you know, benzodiazepines um, being cut into drugs. You have other kind of random substances entering. So it's it's really just kind of this very chaotic and unpredictable thing. Um, one thing that a lot of harm reduction workers are saying would be very important is um, having kind of more sophisticated ways to check for drugs, to, to test what's in the supply right now, what's um, what new substances are entering, and then um, using that information to actually give people steps they can take to um, reduce their risk of, of overdose or, or reduce other hazards. You know, if, if they know that xylosine is in the supply, for example, they can tell people, hey, this this strange batch of wounds you're seeing on your skin, it might be because of this, and you should really, you know, seek medical attention. Um, Massachusetts has a much kind of more sophisticated network of, of drug checking sites where people can actually bring substances in, and analysts can can look at them on on a sort of sophisticated piece of machinery and and kind of break down what's actually in them. We don't really have that in New Hampshire. There are actually some bills being considered right now by the legislature that would um, sort of create more legal space for for someone to, to start that kind of program. Um, so we'll see where that go debate goes. But um, right now, a lot of it is sort of relying on data from other states, as we were saying. If it's in Massachusetts, it's probably in New Hampshire.
It's a dangerous political football for for anyone that's at the statehouse that wants to dive into it because I mean you're you're talking about money being put into the drug market and in these drugs being purchased illicitly because they're illegal generally speaking it's there's a lot of con of um, aspects to it that really need to be sorted out if they, if they want to have a solid law to to make this happen I'd assume. <laughs> Yeah, no, there was actually a state police official who just this afternoon testified that, you know, he has some concerns about unintended consequences and, and you know, whether that would, you know, um, tie his hands in certain investigations going after drug traffickers. Um, I don't, you know, know actually how um, I don't have any specifics on those concerns or, or know how kind of widespread that would be. Um, but uh, certainly some some questions that I'm sure lawmakers will be looking at there. All right, let's move over to uh, another article you wrote that was published back on January 12th. New Hampshire hospitals are suing to stop the state from boarding psychiatric patients in the emergency rooms. I've spoken with uh, Amory Timmons over at the Bulletin about uh, this on and off the last couple of years, and it's a real problem because there isn't enough mental health beds in the state. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and this lawsuit concerns kind of what's known as the practice of, of ER boarding, which is essentially, you know, when someone in mental health crisis um, shows up at the the hospital ER, they're involuntarily committed um, uh, for treatment. They're supposed to be transferred to a mental health bed, right, to, for for that specific treatment. But um, because New Hampshire just doesn't have the the capacity in its mental health system right now, a lot of people end up stuck in the ER waiting potentially for days or weeks um, until a bed opens up and, and they can go get treatment. Yeah, I mean, and a big issue is just like any other aspect of healthcare in the state is staffing. I mean, if you don't have enough doctors and nurses to take care of the beds and the patients that are in your facility, I'm, I mean, it, it's dangerous. It's a huge liability. And um, I, I'd imagine hospitals would have a lot of accreditation issues that have to deal with, let alone insurance. The staffing issue is is absolutely part of this. Um, just you know, to get into the lawsuit a bit, essentially the hospitals are saying to the state, you know, it's your responsibility to take these patients once they're involuntarily committed. Um, you need to transfer them immediately into an actual mental health facility. Um, the state's response is like, look, we we don't have the capacity right now. Um, there's staffing issues across the healthcare workforce, including mental health. Um, when I reported this story earlier this month, um, the state had about 30 beds at its mental health hospital that were not being used because they didn't have the staffing. So the state is saying, look, um, you can't transfer these patients into a into a system, into a facility that's understaffed, that, that can't safely take care of them. Um, the hospitals, of course, are saying, look, you know, having all these patients in our ER where we're not equipped to treat them um, as they need to be treated, that's also adding to their capacity issues. That's also putting a strain on them. Um, so it's it's certainly, you know, staffing is really at the, the root of a, a lot of this right now. Yeah, I mean, is the lawsuits aim to kind of like force the hand of HHS or something to, to do something? Or are they hoping that this kind of raises red flags for the legislature to kind of step up and make sure there's there's extra funding or something like that? So they are um, seeking, um, essentially they're seeking a judge's order that would force um, the state health department to start, you know, transferring these patients immediately once they're um, committed 
the this is coming actually from some some reporting that the Keen Sentinel did, so I can't take credit. But um, one of the hospitals involved told them that their aim is to get the um, a judge to levy daily fines on the state, such that the state finds it more affordable to. Um, invest whatever they need to solve their staffing issues um, rather than having to pay these fines. Um, whether that would work in practice, I have no idea. Um, as we said, you know, healthcare institutions are, are across the board are struggling for staff. Um, I, I do think one one thing that health officials have said is like, you know, as a state employer, we don't have as much flexibility as private hospitals, private employers to you know, really jack up wages or offer $10,000 signing bonuses. So I think on top of the general workforce shortage, you have some specific constraining facts when you are a, a sort of public employer like that. I mean, is the expectation that New Hampshire hospitals beds will be even sufficient? Because that seems like the numbers don't really add up where they're, even if the rest of the beds are fully funded, that's going to take care of the problem. It's a it's a good question. I mean, the the state has taken some steps over in, in recent years to expand its mental health system. You know, they've opened up um, kind of a network of, of mobile crisis units on, on sort of the front end. They've um, you know bought Hampstead Hospital and are turning it into a you know a psychiatric uh, facility specifically for youth mental health needs. And they've been working to try and like build capacity there. Um, but again, with, with all of these, the, the staffing continues to just be a limiting factor. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not like we're saw through COVID and there's extensive strikes and such at this point, because it's been going on for so long with these, these high paid traveling nurses and doctors and such that are going from facility to facility. It's, we, we, we're not New York. You, you can't magically just pay away all, all these people to come up here, let alone that. I think a big deal definitely is going to be the, the employment regulations that the state has. It, it's, it, they're not, it's not like a private industry where you can just throw money at the problem necessarily. There, there's all sorts of laws and regulations they have to follow. Yeah, and there is actually a, a group that um, issued a you know comprehensive work workforce plan last year for for kind of bolstering the state's healthcare workforce and and their various people working on that. And I know one of the things they are looking at is you know policy regulations, licensing, etc., along with all the other pieces of the puzzle. Now let's throw it over to another article that was actually also released on January 12th. A uh, new law can make it easier to access an effective opioid addiction treatment in New Hampshire. Uh, obviously, this could fix some of the systemic issues we were talking about with the first article if there's more resources available. Uh, but what's this law looking to cover? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a law that makes it easier for more doctors to prescribe uh, buprenorphine Maybe saying that wrong, um, but it's it's a addiction treatment drug. Um, it's often sold under the brand name Suboxone, and it essentially works by um, you know reducing someone's craving for a drug like fentanyl or heroin. Um, studies have shown you know it keeps people in treatment for longer, uh, reduces relapses, which you know ultimately means fewer overdoses. So really important treatment in in um, addressing the opioid crisis. And you know for a long time the DEA required that any doctor or any provider that wanted to prescribe this medication had to jump through certain hoops to get a specific waiver to prescribe that. Um, so there were a lot of doctors, especially like non-addiction specialists, just kind of your general practitioners, your emergency room doctors who would have hadn't done that process. 
Now, um, this recent federal legislation uh, removed that requirement. So now um, medical providers can prescribe Suboxone like any other medication. Um, what experts told me is, you know, this could be really important, not just in expanding access, but um, speeding up access, right? Because when someone is ready for treatment, you want to have that treatment available right away because even a day or two, right? Um, things can change. They can relapse. They can change their minds. Um, so having any medical provider um, pretty much able to start someone on that, you know, when they're in the ER, when they're visiting their primary care provider or whatever, that, that could really, um, you know, help kind of make make access a little smoother for many people. Yeah, that was something I never really heard about until very recently with regards to, to another matter that I, that I was uh, having discussions with uh, on with someone. But like what what exactly was the capacity before this law for Suboxone to be distributed to to people that are in addiction treatment? Because I feel like we hear about it a lot in the big cities, especially and how and how the clinics work. But in New Hampshire, there's like almost I don't feel like there's much out there for people to know what's going on with it. So it's it's definitely been growing. Um, the the addiction um, treatment specialists I spoke to said that you know in in recent years um, access really has sort of expanded in New Hampshire. I think more and more providers have gotten this this waiver that allowed them to prescribe, and you know you have kind of um, specialized outpatient um, services and so forth. Um, but again, when you're, I, I, I think one of the the um, key issues here is just you know. If you're a family practitioner who hasn't gotten this waiver, you don't have to refer someone out to a separate clinic now. And, you know, maybe they have to wait two days for an appointment um, where they, you know, still could have gotten that medication, but maybe something happens in those two days. So, um, so you know, access, again, was definitely growing, but hopefully this will continue to make a difference. It's just the shame factor of it, too. A lot of people know they're doing something illegal that's bad for themselves and bad for those around them and don't uh, to have that ability to go to a doctor that maybe they've seen their entire life or been going to for a long time to just go up to and say hey i have a problem what what can i do and to, it gives a tool in the toolbox absolutely and actually one of the doctors i spoke to specifically said you know this should help destigmatize this type of treatment within the field of medicine and and really bring it more into you know, kind of everyday healthcare and, and, you know, because it is a part of healthcare, it's not this separate thing. Yeah. It's uh, because of Joe Rogan, actually, I listened to, uh, watch some videos from Softway Underbelly, which is a fascinating and disturbing and depressing YouTube channel whose stories, uh, mainly based out of California and there's many addicts in there. And it's to give the ability for people to get access to treatment and help on the spot is by far the most effective way to to do it because otherwise people they they just leave their community because they feel like they they don't have a way out and to be able to if they're able to get treatment and get help in their own community there's a there in theory could be a backbone of emotional support and resources you're familiar with as opposed to just kind of looking and hoping so definitely all right end of the segment here Paul Kuno Booth reporting for uh, New Hampshire Public Radio, NHPR.org. I'll, I'll throw them a plug, throw the competition a plug, because why not? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me this week, and uh, love your reporting over there. So be sure to, uh, to give him a follow on Twitter and such. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me. 
It's New Hampshire Headlines and WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierce at nhtalkradio.com. If you missed any part of the segment, it's going to be posted on demand as a podcast and video. We uh, do this episode every Friday right here during WKXL in the morning in the 6 a.m. hour. Back after this.